This reading of Dr. John Ferguson Smith's First World War Diary is sponsored by Objective Analysis of Oxford. It is read by his grandson Rory MacLeod. The sound engineer is his great-grandson Henry MacLeod. Part 6 January the 9th to May 16th A gap of over four months during which life has gone on along very similar lines. Monotonous but comfortable with not too much work, except for occasional rushes after the battles of Neuve-Chapelle, Hill 60, Ypres and Aubert. May 17, 1915. I have orders to exchange with Captain Cornwall Jones of No. 8 London Howitzer Brigade. This seems to be a job such as one would pick were the choice offered. I have no idea where the said brigade hangs out. I leave Wimereux at 10 p.m. I have many lingering regrets, as I have been very comfortable, and have got quite attached both to the hospital and the people. I board the train about midnight, May 18th. My journey is very tedious. There are three of us in the compartment, so that I cannot stretch myself properly. I arrive at Schocke about 10.30 a.m. I find that my division, 2nd London, draws its supplies from Lillers, so I go up to Béthune in the supply column of the 7th Division. We are held up on the road, and I only arrive at 1 p.m. I find the headquarters of my division, now the 49th, and report. I learn that my brigade has been attached to the 7th Division, so I report to the ADMS of London Division for transport. He thinks it is undesirable for my transfer to be effected during an actual battle, which is proceeding merrily the while, so he sends me to 6 London Field Artillery for a few days. The work here is heavy at the moment. There is continuous gunfire, but it isn't so bad as I expected. I hear that most nights we are bombarded. One shell burst in the road just beside the mess and broke the dining room windows. I went to bed at 9.30. I was out at 11pm to 12.30pm to help during a short rush. I slept well after. 19th May Wednesday. I rose at 6.30 a.m. and went down to the hospital. There was just enough work to keep us steadily employed till lunch. After 2.45 p.m. no cases were sent, as we were clearing out. I walked out in the evening towards the firing line. I saw results of the bombardment in Burry. I saw a battery in a wood close by. I heard that the line, along which the armoured train used to run to bombard Béthune, had been destroyed. I hope this is true. I learn from a patient that Uncle D has been wounded, but not seriously. 20th May This morning I go to interview the ADMS 
and also the gunner's staff, with the result that I am sent off in an ambulance about 2pm to join the howitzers, which are located close to the Rue du Bois, a few hundred yards beyond Le Touré. A brigade of howitzers, or at any rate this particular one, consists of two batteries of four guns each. Ours are five-inch, old guns, twenty years, but very useful up to four thousand yards. They need relaying after each shot, as they have no recoil mechanism, so they cannot be fired very rapidly. The commanding officer is Lieutenant Colonel Ely. Cornwall Jones shows me round the batteries. Several 5.9-inch German shells burst in the neighbourhood. One fragment, almost spent, falls quite close. About 6pm, a heavy bombardment started. It is said to be heavier than Neuve Chapelle, but less intense than that of Sunday last, 16th May. A shell from a howitzer can be followed up to its drop in trajectory if one stands directly behind. Excellent practice was made. Every available position all round is occupied by artillery, of which most known species are in evidence. In the hedge, 200 yards behind our batteries, are six-inch guns. To the left are several 18-pounder batteries and some mountain guns, while every now and then Mother, the local 9.2-inch howitzer, grunts a mile or so in the rear, and her 280-pound shell rushes overhead with a noise exactly like an express train. The neighbourhood of the Rue de l'Epinette is being plastered with shell by the enemy, but very few come this way. Later on, the sky is lit up by gun and shell flashes, as well as by a sort of Roman candle affair used by the Germans. At dinner, I hear from the colonel that two of our three objectives had been achieved, and that the third was probably only delayed. Other members of the mess are Lieutenant Cooper, the adjutant, and Second Lieutenant Griffin, recently promoted from Sergeant Major. I am billeted in a tumble-down estaminet 200 yards away. I buy some straw to put below my valise and make myself a moderately comfortable lair. I find to my disgust that a beastly 18-pounder a much noisier weapon than even a big howitzer, has established itself actually in the backyard of the billet. 21st May. My night was disturbed by the gun in the yard. With Jones, I ride over to the wagon lines to see the sick. I get a nice quiet horse belonging to the adjutant, but I still feel stiff afterwards. It is a quiet afternoon, though of course there is always a fair amount of firing at any hour of the day or night. We receive orders that the brigade is to go to Fleur Bay, starting at 10.30pm. 
At this hour my mount, Jones's horse, a grey gelding of vicious habits, will not keep still. The brigade, in a long procession, strings out along Rue du Bois as far as the Lacan Road, where we are told that another brigade has been sent instead. I return and get to bed about 2.30 a.m. All this time furious fighting is going on, very heavy artillery firing and a continuous rattle of rifles and machine guns. The sky is constantly lit by bursting shells and Roman candles, while the whole countryside is alive with the long, jagged flashes of the guns. The sound of the shells rushing overhead produces a sense almost of the supernatural, suggesting Odin's hunting or the Valkyries. Captain Phillips of 37th Battery Royal Field Artillery, our neighbours, was killed by a shell and buried at night. 